0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of Girl Presses Play. First of all, I hope everyone is getting very excited for Spooky Season which is kind of sort of one of the reasons I picked this week's topic which is anti-heroes of superhero films. And that kind of sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? An anti-hero does anti-heroic things but we somehow still love them. Is that some sort of strange phenomenon or does it make some sort of weird sense? That is a tough nut to crack. So, I brought on some of the toughest and most awesome podcasters I know, Rich and Alex from Film Class Zeros, to help me crack it. So, let's get to it as we look at three of the most well known anti heroes on film Blade, Spawn, and Hellboy. I'm the bad
1: guy. Duh.
0: Rich is a photographer, and not just any photographer, but the official Dark Horse Comics photographer at New York Comic-Con. Alex is a car enthusiast, writer, and actor, and together they combine their powers to create and host the podcast, Film Class Heroes, a deep dive into the flicks that have stuck with them over the years. Ladies and gentlemen, you know them, you love them, so give a warm welcome to Rich Dambolian and Alex Kalagianis. Gentlemen, always good to have you on the show. How are you?
2: Hello. Fun to be back.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having us back again. This is the second time we're on, or third time, second time, right?
0: I think you were on one time, Mm -hmm. Rich, for the Rudy and Fighting with My Family episode. Yes. And both of you came for the Wicker Man episode.
1: The the youngest Cosby child. The youngest. (laughs) (laughs) A hyper specific topic. That is a hyper specific topic. I was like, I got a lot to say about Rudy.
0: <laughs> you had you had a lot more than I did. I will totally give you credit for that. Because I had watched the movie like last year or the year before. So I was like, oh, I'll remember it. And then you remembered so much more than I did. And I was like, oops.
1: Yeah, it's a weird movie.
0: <laughs> good movie. It's a good movie. And it's a weird yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. You know what are also good movies? Anti-hero movies. And what makes them so compelling to watch, gentlemen? Educate me.
2: Anti-hero movies, uh, we're talking about in a comic book context, I think is this weird pressure valve for a lot of people, because I feel like we're so used to the heroes being wholesome and pillars of uh, moral uh, righteousness that sometimes the cynical part of us kind of needs someone else to come through with a little bit of edge and cut through that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think in that weird comic book context, you have so many quote-unquote antiheroes, like the ones we're going to talk about today, Blade, Hellboy, and Spawn. And even- Like the Punisher, you know, Wolverine, but perhaps Mm -hmm. the all time greatest anti-hero. They're guys who you're not really supposed to root for. But at the end of the day, you root for them. And maybe we can try to figure out why. I do think a lot of these anti-heroes kind of lend themselves to like this weirdo alpha male quality of, you know, how like sometimes when you watch stuff or you're with like a group of guys or whatever, and you hear somebody go, yeah. I would totally do the same thing, bro. <laughs> that's as I mean, like, that's as far as I would go with that. You know what I mean? Because I, I think that's ridiculous. Like, you know what I would do if I was any of these movies? Die immediately. <laughs> like in a heartbeat. I'd get bitten by a vampire, I'd get sucked to hell by a demon. A uh, spawn would trip over me in that alleyway or something. You know, like <laughs> that's it.
0: Oh my goodness. I mean, I also think there's something kind of especially nowadays, there's something very relatable to the anti-hero in that. There's kind of this like very pessimistic, cynical outlook on life and anything turning out to be okay that I have personally found that watching movies like Hellboy and Blade, where it's kind of like, everything's really dark, might as well just lean into the darkness. There's something oddly therapeutic about it. Kind of like the same therapeutic quality you get from watching a horror movie where some like bratty teenagers at a camp or, you know, in a cabin or whatever, get hacked up by some murderer. And you're just kind of like, this is oddly nice to like watch these a-holes get their come up in.
1: You know why? I'll tell you why. Cause Blade, Hellboy and Spawn, they don't pay taxes and they don't have nine to five jobs. So you're kind of living vicariously through that whole, like look at Blade, for example, Blade's a good example. That guy lives completely off the grid. It's very satisfying when he kills everybody and then gets into his cool car. That he has a dude fix and then goes from city to city, kicking ass everywhere. Same thing with Hellboy. Hellboy doesn't pay taxes. You know, like he doesn't have to do any of this crap. I kind of Hell- feel
0: like, though, Hellboy has the closest thing to a nine to five because I feel like he's very much mm. on call for, I think it's called the Ministry of Defense, where it's like, Hellboy, you gotta come up and do this thing. It's like, Ugh, fine. So I feel like he almost represents the nine to five a little bit.
1: You mean the Bureau for a Paranormal Research and Defense? Where that's what our does ministry of defense come from? That's that's I what
2: have. that's what our tax dollars are paying for. God damn it! He doesn't pay taxes. He doesn't pay rent. He doesn't. Probably, probably it's on the other side. Cell phone. We're paying for him to have his fun. I think you know, so. I think we're guns and and pancakes.
1: I think we're paying for Blade also.
2: I think so too. But <laughs> I think more officially because he's on. <laughs> I think Hellboy's on the books. I think Blade is kind of out there. I don't think. But I'll I'll take it back. I think I think Blade <laughs> is off the hook for this one.
1: Hellboy's not on the books, dude. You're uh, I found this guy in uh, World War II. He was a baby demon,
2: but he's <laughs> has got do him a social security the, card. The, the BRPD is like some sort of shady government thing. Mm. We, we were obviously paying for that through some sort of thing. I don't get political, but
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm okay paying for What kind of podcast Hellboy. is this? <laughs> I feel like Hellboy keeps us safer than if to get a little political, a lot of other entities. So, like, oh, I'm fine yeah, yeah. for sure, towards Hellboy, honestly,
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I think we've solved it all gentlemen. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, Later. no, it it's interesting because I feel like, especially looking at something like Deadpool, who I would almost argue other than Wolverine is the most famous anti-hero. There's I'd say now, yeah. Yeah, I'd say now, you know, in a post Ryan Reynolds Deadpool world, there's something very like relatable to it, maybe mm-hmm. the idea that like they're kind of, pardon the language, they're kind of shitty assholes, but they're still doing cool things and they get to fly. So it's almost a little bit more fantasy projection than like Superman <laughs> or Thor or, you know, Iron Man.
2: I think in, the, in in this context where we're talking about Deadpool, that's a really great example of what's what's happening now where superhero movies and comic book movies are the, 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 the premier thing at the time, uh, at, at this time. And it's a huge shift from where they used to be. You know, it was a subculture, now is, is a main culture. With that comes that whole, you know, we've talked about it before, but there's like that Marvel fatigue where everyone is just so sick of these movies being like the, the, the biggest thing out there and everything mm-hmm. being held in comparison to them. And if it's not a Marvel movie or if it's not a connected universe and it's no good, it doesn't get any money and and nobody watches it and and that kind of stuff. And a lot of people are rightfully kind of uh, exhausted by this and which is fine. Some people aren't and some people are. And I think characters like Deadpool and I think shows like uh, the boys is sort of like um, Mm. an outlet for people who have that sort of pent up sort of I'm tired of these people following these particular rules and seeing the same problems over and over again. I want something snarky. I want something more cynical. I want this thing to be skewered a little bit for my satisfaction. You know, like poking fun at superheroes and taking them down where they can never get hurt and they can never be shamed. And then Deadpool does all that stuff. You know, he'll punch, you know, Colossus in the balls and and he just makes all these guys look like asses. You know, in the context of the films where they're always looking like the coolest people in the room.
1: Yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of seriousness that people don't like with their superhero fare the franchise ability of a Deadpool is pretty much, like, off the charts at this point, you know? And I think, Alex, like, when you touched on, like, that interesting zeitgeist that sort of emerged from that first Deadpool movie, or even, like, the first Guardians movie, you know, where it was, like, these are the people that aren't supposed to succeed, but they're doing it in a very quirky and snarky way. Like, the end of the first Guardians movie was a dance contest, you know? Yeah. You kind of don't get, like more niche than that. That's like the FU to the face of like your serious superhero fair slash possibly Snyderverse.
2: Oh, sure. And oh, yeah. I feel like even like if you go to Dark Knight and other movies where they're trying to take the the fun colorfulness out of 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 a property like Batman, where it is literally desaturated from what it used to be in both comics and in the movies. And it becomes a very serious affair when it really wasn't from the start and now people are saying like hey we we like that stuff we like these movies to be fun so now we're in this place where there is a you know deadpool sort of fills that vacuum bringing the fun back and i think marvel does a really good balance but deadpool like like deadpool is a good example of they he that property takes it even further
0: you know you bring up an interesting to me it's kind of like a chicken or the egg question of did marvel fatigue cause and a uh, re-rise, I guess you would say, or a resurgence in anti-hero content, or did the rise of anti-hero content make us realize that we had Marvel fatigue? You
2: know, I, the way I see it, I I see how, you know, like when when Rich and I were growing up, comics and, and the comic book movies were always uh, like a subculture thing that wasn't mainstream at all. We would imagine what would it be like if we saw this character Uh, adapted for the screen and when they did would they get get it quote-unquote right and all these other questions you know based on the things that we've seen in like the 70s and 80s and some of them uh did you know uh, amazing jobs you know like the superman movies the the tim burton batman movies for if you like them or not they they made a significant impact but they were still outliers in especially compared to what's happening now so when you have like a subculture that becomes the main culture i think there's a group of people that are kind of defensive in there and they're like, well, the thing that I like is now mainly like a uh, popularized mm. and it's not, and it's sort of spoiled it for this, you know, the, this person or these, these people, you know, like, uh, an anti-hero kind of makes them feel a little bit better because now we're skewering these things that, you know, that, that sort of ran off and got popular. It's kind of like you like a local band and then they sort of blow up and then you kind of get frustrated and a little bit annoyed that like everybody likes them.
0: Yep. Or like you discovered an actor in an indie movie. You're like, oh, there's this awesome indie actor that I like. And then they're in a Marvel or a DC or like a big Netflix show. You're like, I liked them before. They were cool.
2: Right now, everyone likes this guy.
1: I'll I'll agree with you. And I want to add something else to it. I think also we're at that age, Alex and I at least, where we grew up with stuff that was so hokey in hopes of like maybe one day they'll make a good so-and-so movie and they've done it right they've done it repeatedly i feel like i'm i think maybe i don't know alex how you feel about this or alana where i don't mind tons of superhero flicks as long as they're good you know i completely agree with the burnout thing eternals was a bit of a stretch for me yep not a big fan you know like it was it was a beautiful three hour whatever it was (laughs) it was gorgeous looking but it didn't it held my interest for, like, maybe half an hour of the movie. And these things will keep getting made. And I really think it hinges on public sentiment and if the movie is good or not. And I think one movie that we're kind of missing that really kind of kicked the anti hero industry in the butt at the time was Logan. Um, James Mangold's Logan was such a fantastic weird oddball movie that came unexpectedly especially after that second Wolverine movie which was which I liked you know the Wolverine where it was like in Japan and like he was doing all this over samurai stuff. Logan did the flash forward and it showed you like it showed you like the old man Logan almost from the comics where he was like really gnarly and just like ripping into everything and he didn't care. It was almost like we waited close to 20 years to see the Wolverine that we've always wanted to see. Uh, And his catchphrase, which I don't even, I don't think he ever said in the movies, maybe he did at one point is the most like anti-social thing on the planet or anti-person thing on the planet. I'm the best there is at what I do. And what I do isn't very nice because he's a murderer.
0: I feel like he said that in one of the like Brian Singer 20th century talks films I'm like 90% sure he said that but yeah that's a really great point because I feel like that's also kind of like I know it came out after the Nolan movies but I feel like it did for X-Men what the Nolan movies did for the Batman where it showed just how grounded it could be I would almost call it more grounded than the Nolan films Mm -hmm. which is a stretch just because it's so dark and it's Mm -hmm. so pensive and there's a lot of like there's not actually a whole lot of action in that movie. There's big action pieces, of course, but there's a lot of like sitting and talking and like character-driven scenes and things like that. Like it feels like the indie movie of superhero films.
1: Well, I think there was also high stakes in that movie too, which compared to like the stuff that we should talk about is I think also from that, the acting perspective, Patrick Stewart and... Hugh Jackman. Yes, I can't believe I forgot his name. I was going to say it was Darby. Out. It's tattooed right you. here on my chest. I was going <laughs> to see
2: it in the thing. Come on.
1: <laughs> Alana, Alex is a, like, you know, Danny Trejo's, like, tattoo on his chest. Alex is the same thing, except with Hugh Jackman. Knew
0: yeah. it. Knew From, it. Um,
1: <laughs> well, my point was, uh, I think Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman may have went into the movie thinking, this could be the last time I play this character. Let me effing shoot for the fences. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, let me try to knock it out of the park. Sports analogy, sports analogy. And <laughs> do the things, give you know, the points. Right. And they do you watch that movie, you're like both of them in scenes together. Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, they are taking it to that level. But that's before we were collectively introduced to every franchise having a multiverse. Yep. You know, so like Professor X just showed up in the Doctor Strange movie. I was but just it thinking wasn't. About that. But it wasn't like our Professor X.
2: I feel like we've been like this is. We keep saying this a lot that we've been allowed around long enough to see like <laughs> the evolution of this whole thing. Mm. What I what I wanted to say while you were talking was that that we are in this really great place where uh, a, a lot of these movies that and we're going to talk about a few of them sort of did the legwork to to get to where uh, to get us to where we're at now. And I feel like right now the since these what were niche things now that they're mega popular and the, the most popular things out there right now in cinema, these, the people in, in charge of these things have figured out that they don't all have to be the same and can branch out. And I think Marvel is really good about that. And I feel like uh, when, uh, in particular, like if you look at Taika Waititi, when he did with Thor making each letting a director take the movie in the direction that they want to take. And so that they are sort of, In a sort of uh, connected, you know, network, everything is marvelled up. Mm -hmm. There, there are things that they have to do, but it's in a particular style. So, like Eternals was maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but it was that one particular uh, Mm -hmm. director's style. Chloe Zhao, right?
0: Chloe Zhao film, especially visually
2: and 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 she should be allowed to do that like you know like sam raimi's latest uh dr strange movie was very much a sam raimi movie oh for sure you know taika waititi's you know he got to he turned thor into the fun you know avenger and people who are sort of used to all these things being hyper serious now sort of get their underwear in a bunch because they're like hey wait a minute they're having fun we we wanted uh you know these these uh big action guys to do serious things we're like we've been doing that and it was tired and we're done and we're getting action but we're also having fun because i don't know if you remember this but these are silly cartoons about you know a space thor you know these are space vikings guy like relax now like but we have in that sense everyone has the the ability to do what they want to do and that's why like when logan came out we were just right at that point where hey, you know, like, let's, instead of making another formula, formulaic X-Men movie, let's make a Western. It's like a tight story. It's very moving. And it, the focus is on the performance and the, and the stakes. And it's not so much about like, how many cameos can we squeeze into this? And how many effects can we have? And, and that kind of thing. What, what makes you guys think
1: that people hate fun? Like, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Like, okay. So, Thor Ragnarok is one of my favorite Marvel movies it's top three for me and as soon as I saw it I was like I nailed it this is great this is comic books you know these are the comics that we grew up with this is humor this is is everything you know drama humor uh just the two things those are the only emotions I know (laughs) sadness and happiness that nothing Two note rich (laughs) two notes Uh, to me I was like Taika Waititi nailed it he effing nailed it this is great and then you go on the internet which is always a mistake and everybody's like like you said Alex why are they making jokes
2: why 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 so why do you think that is i'll answer your question with a confession i was one of the anti fun guys for a long time <gasps> oh. plot twist oh. i right, know big no, reveal because i was thinking about this recently because i forget what movie i was watching it was probably uh doctor strange or something but mm-hmm. like the conversation came up uh of, of like we're me and some friends are having this a similar conversation about look where mm-hmm. the movies came from, right? I remember definitely being of the, the 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 that little teenager, young adult, where it's like I was, you know, Dark Knight had to be Dark Knight. Everything was that, you know, forget the campy, you know, Adam West stuff. I think that's what I was talking about, Batman, and I'm and. It, I love Adam West and the Batman movie and the show, but there was a long time where I was like a denier of this because I wanted to, I wanted Batman to be cool and, and being t- to be taken seriously and all this other stuff. And then I think some, at some point you grow out of it, especially now that these things have sort of persisted when you re- and you realize mm-hmm. this whole thing can be fun and there's, it, it, it's silly to have such a, um, uh, a weird like to be hard-headed about stuff like that and I feel like there's a generation of people who have gone through it and have how do I put this like you go through it and, and you 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 come out the other end sort of better for it but there's some people probably stuck there some people who are entering this journey now and I and it's like taking this the thing that you like needs to be taken seriously otherwise I'll be mad or upset or it doesn't you know it, it, will, it will invalidate my like for something yeah I can attest to that because like mm-hmm. I felt like that but I was also like an immature dude so like mm-hmm you know, uh, now it's, you grow older and you have the confidence, where you're like, hey, you know what, that, that was actually fun and I'm okay saying that. And then you realize like, oh yeah, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Space Vikings. Right, come
0: on. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Cause like, this kind of reminds me of a conversation we were ha- having an episode ago with my friend Colin about specifically the fact that there's a lot of talk about how Marvel has wanted to make a Flash Gordon remake for a while, but then when Guardians of the Galaxy was such a hit, Basically, there's this idea that like Guardians can be the one bro-y football jock in space movie going on. But I think with all this multiverse stuff and Marvel TV versus Marvel film, like I think there can be multiple versions of things. So there can be multiple kinds of Blade. If they're well made, there can be multiple Hellboys. There can be multiple Spawns. I think a Spawn TV series would be really cool. But they I do the... feel like people are very kind of precious about the original thing.
2: No, I, I agree. And I feel like, yeah, we had this, the Spawn movie that we had the Spawn, there was an animated TV show, I think on HBO back in the day. Which yeah. wasn't half bad. Yeah.
0: I think it was Warner Brothers Animation.
2: And I think that what we're, what you're talking about Alana now is, is sort of like we were used to the because they were so few and far in between you would get a character in portrayed in a movie and it would become the de facto version of this character, you know, like this Tim Burton's Batman was Batman, you know, this, uh, you, know, uh, you know, version of this guy was that guy. And, and then everyone would get so super defensive because it's like, this is the quote unquote real version of the thing that I care about. So it has to be right. If they don't get it mm-hmm. right, I'm going to mm-hmm. be mad. And now, cause we have so much turnover and we've done a few reboots and all this other stuff. Now we're sort of like, we can do whatever we want. They are not, they don't necessarily have, it can be connected. And since we've connected all of them, they've built like little outs. So other studios can do whatever they want, or they can do different versions of things because at the end, mm-hmm. it's the the double-edged, double-edged sword of, of continuity and having a, a built-up universe where it's like, oh, well, this is part of the fun and having a big lore, but it, people get caught in a trap. So it's, now it's like, but all these traps have a release and we've made a, an excuse so we can do whatever we want because it's just fun storytelling at the end of the day.
1: All this stuff is going to go away. Also, I want to piggyback on what you're saying. The interesting thing about like the big two comic book movies, your Marvel and DC flicks, is that they definitely lend themselves to like fun multiversal things. You know, like I at one point was a big fan of the CW DC shows. Right, that was like a weird gateway into every season across all their shows. They would have a quote-unquote crisis and would have heroes from different universes show up. So at one point, you had. Burt Ward doing a cameo from Earth 66, which was 1966 Batman. You had um, Kevin Conroy doing a cameo as animated series Batman. It's a lot of fun stuff, which I think is going to end at some point. But that fun stuff also lends itself to, like Alex was saying, we don't got to be so serious anymore. We could be serious. We could make a very serious superhero flick. But at this point in time, why would you want that? I think Into the Spider-Verse, set the precedent for that. Into the Spider-Verse is one of my all-time favorite, if not my favorite superhero flick. And that set the precedence, I think, for me to say like, hey, we can have a whole lot of fun with pre-established characters and you could enjoy the heck out of some new lore that we're creating. And then a few years later, we got uh, No Way Home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? The last Spider-Man flick. Mm -hmm which was phenomenal. I feel like I've, uh, I don't know if you guys cried, but I, I cried like a big baby when I saw it. <laughs> I had multiple, Alana now, no crying?
0: I i feel like I'm the one person in the world who is lukewarm about No Way Home. I really hadn't watched any of the Tom Holland mm-hmm. Spider-Man, not because I have anything against the guy or against the filmmaking team, mm-hmm. but it's just never one of those like, oh, I'm going to seek it out sort of franchises. So I- Interesting. I know, and I don't know why. Well,
1: I mean, you're a, you're not a, Dorky kid from Queens
2: <laughs> that has
1: spider powers. I feel like Spider-Man like a weird. Not to, uh, this is gonna sound very. I don't want it to sound sexist or misogynistic. Hold on, I, I thought I
2: thought you were gonna talk about
1: yourself. Like, do you, you, <laughs> do, you, do you have spider powers? Did you just admit that to everything? I've always felt that my spider powers will come in handy one day. Uh, I've always felt that Spider-Man is such a hard sell for women you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's certain characters that i think like a a female would look at and be like (laughs) no like why fucking spider powers who gives a shit (laughs) it's
0: interesting because i guess like i do wonder if it's the fact that he's really the youngest of the superheroes Mm -hmm. so women look for a they look at him and see like their little brother or their cousin mm. or like their cute intern at their office or whatever. Whereas they look at, we were talking about David Harbor as Hellboy earlier. Mm-hmm. When they look at like David Harbor, like Ron Perlman yeah. as Hellboy, they're like, that's a man who could build a house for me. That is a man <laughs> who will take down demons for me.
1: I I I, I want to go back to to I, I want to kind of clarify also what I was saying. I think it's also it has to do with the character itself. I don't think Spider-Man lends lends himself to female empowerment. Yeah, interesting. Know? I never because he because he's a schlubby, dorky kid from Queens who gets thrust into like this weird thing, and I think it's like maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's too no. boyish
0: yeah I you get know what, what i mean, mean. like there's like, nothing inherently sexist or misogynist about spider-man i've watched you know all the tokyo fire right. films i've watched the andrew garfield films i watched no way home and like there's nothing that i've seen in any of them where i'm like oh i'm uncomfortable with that but i do think it's mm. very much like a boyhood fantasy of you start out super nerdy And then you get powers and then you get a six pack and then you get Zendaya Mm. or you get Kirsten. (laughs) And I'm
1: going to bring I'm going to bring that around even further where I think Spider-Man is so localized and his own thing. But then again, piggybacking on what you just said, Alana, the X-Men franchise and the X-Men universe is exactly what you're saying, except for everybody. You know, men, women, everybody all walks of life. I think at this point in the comics, at least, and they've always been like this, but I think the X-Men are the best example of like the ultimate LGBTQ ally.
0: Or even just like there's a hero for everyone, you know, like there's Jean Grey for like the popular tortured girls, there's Mm. Rogue for like the indie chicks that are like, Cube, mm. don't want to talk to anybody there's cyclops for the sensitive folks there's nightcrawler for the weirdos and then for the parents there's like x and magneto so no that's a very i want good that
1: point. i want that sound clip i want there's nightcrawler for the weirdos <laughs> <laughs> and i like that
0: because i'm a weirdo mm. you know it's interesting because it also makes me think of like how blade i feel like especially the way that wesley snipes portrayed him is such a like Men want to be him, women want to be with him. Like, there's something a little, I don't know if cool is the right word.
2: James Bondy. There's something James Bondy yeah, about.
0: There's cool him. and James Bondy yeah. about the anti hero. Like, I think of that great scene in Hellboy, uh, the Guillermo del Toro version, where the Rupert Evans character calls him and is like, Hellboy, Hellboy, hmm. what happened? And he lights a cigar and says, I fried stinky. And like, that's just so, I don't know how to put it. You're just like, I wish I could be that dude there's a little more of the like i want to be that guy rather than oh i wish i had thor's powers because i think there's a difference mm. between like wanting to be thor and just wanting his powers or his blade you're like i want to be that guy that guy's cool
2: i think a lot of that sort of jumping off of what rich said about spider-man going back to the anti-hero thing when you have a character like spawn for example if Peter Parker is sort of satisfying or, or, or adolescent boys are seeing themselves in Peter Parker in the caught up in things that they're bigger than them. And they just wish they had something to give them a, an edge or, or, or help them out in these scenarios as they are growing up and bumbling and being hopeless at it. And he's the, he's the, the, the power fantasy, I think Spawn. And characters like that, and antiheroes are the, are the are the other side because there's like that adolescent anger and frustration, and that's a manifestation of those things. Yeah. Where now absolutely. it's like my anger and frustration is this type of energy that will be portrayed in, for example, for Spawn, it's his hell energy. It's the mo- it's not just the motivation. He's it's a suit of armor that can kill people and and reacts to his mind and his anger. You know, the Punisher is. I'm frustrated and I'm going to go and, and, and take things into my own hands, but I am not super powered. I'm just angry. Anger mm. is the power. Hellboy, I think is like a character who is also angry, but he is also a, a character. He's literally from hell and it's in him, but he is just so um, curmudgeonly uh, curmudgeonly because <laughs> I think that he is unaffected and and, and I can't find the word, but it, it, he's not super effect. He's not as vulnerable. as These other guys, because he's from hell. so all of this stuff is like it, it's more of a frustration to him.
0: He's very unfazed by things. Yeah so that's-
1: well, well, that's interesting. My personal thoughts on that is that in the movies in the movie, in that first hellboy movie, he is coddled and sheltered his entire life. Mm-hmm. So he almost has like, even though I think in the flick he's supposed to be like 60. Mm-hmm. yeah, he has the affectation of like a very emo. <laughs> like 20 year old yeah you know right. because yeah. like he's essentially been in his room hanging out with his cats and playing video games for his entire life and then they'll be like hey dude you're really strong and need to go kill like a monster mm-hmm. and he'll be like all right
2: does that girl like me Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you're right but he, it's 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 like the mm-hmm. spider-man thing and it's that adolescent insecurity but he's mm-hmm. but he's a, he's someone who is physically very um intimidating and capable but yeah. he's still but yet you know there are adolescents mm-hmm. who are very you know big and powerful or at least you know they're not these uh, in the in the sense where if we're categorizing guys like spider-man who are kind of boyish and mm-hmm. and insecure their insecurities lie in different ways and, you know, that's a, you know, insecurity in adolescence has a broad spectrum. And, and he's like that, where it's like, I'm big and strong and from hell, but I'm also a teenager and I'm really frustrated. And I got a crush on this girl at work.
1: So. Who, can, who i I've got a crush on the girl who could set herself on fire.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you don't get more emo than that. Like, it's very,
1: it's, it's very interesting. Like Hellboy is a very emo character in certain regards because like he's a muscle bound giant creature, but doesn't see himself that way. You know, he's like he he's doing the things because he's like not not forced to do it but it's like there is a sense of duty there but it's because like he's the only one who could do it and he knows Mm -hmm. that
0: yeah i definitely feel like there's a little bit more of a i don't want to say like the things that we don't like about ourselves but i do feel like you see sometimes more like i don't like this like dark side of myself in real life but when i watch (laughs) like for example, like Harley Quinn, she kind of hovers between anti-hero and villain. But when I see Harley Quinn wearing the most outrageous outfit and just like rollerblading down the street with a giant bat, just being like, fuck it all. like. There is a little bit of that like, ooh, I usually suppress that side of me in real life. But if I was in like the Birds of Prey universe, I would totally be wearing those like yellow overalls with the prank crop top, tattoos everywhere with a giant baseball bat. Like I do think there's a little bit of that what we want to be in real life versus what we wish we could kind of be in real life.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So is Harley your outlet for that kind of thinking?
0: Oh, yeah. In terms of like not self filtering, not worrying about what others like Mm -hmm. think of you or see you like that scene where she's just like getting drunk at, I keep on wanting to say his name is Syosset, even though that's not it. (laughs) Roman (laughs) Syonis. Thank you. Roman (laughs) Cyanus. I was like, it's not Syosset. It's not Syosset. Um, But when she's like at his club, just like taking shots, like dancing on the poles, punching Mm -hmm. people. I'm like, I kind of wish I could be like brave enough to do that. Maybe not punch people because I don't want to hurt people, but maybe just like swat their glasses away or something like I personally find there's a lot of wish fulfillment in Harley Quinn for me
2: it's very liberating you know yeah Yeah. it's very liberating that seems
1: that's very sweet though that's a very interesting that's a very deep rooted thought in a very popcorn interesting superhero movie and Harley Quinn's a good anti-hero too
0: yeah and I think there's some of that for Blade too like I wish I just knew the coolest thing to say at every moment I wish I was as coordinated as him at every moment like he seems to be (laughs) I'm gonna so like I'm Hellboy. Gonna, we were talking about Hellboy. Like, I wish I could just like not care in the way that he just doesn't care.
1: I'll 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 address the elephant in the room, which is probably non-existent. But as far as Blade goes, yes, I have, and this is this is not a joke. <laughs> I have always wanted to be a cool black dude who could do karate and is a vampire. <laughs> you know, like that is oh my God. there is no doubt about it. If you're like, I and I love black cinema you know what i mean and like a lot of a lot of black cinema you i this is a whole other topic that we can get into at some other point in the future mm-hmm. but the cool factor with a lot of that stuff the cool factor with let's say like a movie like shaft or mm-hmm. a movie like blade is very in your face and it's not ham-fisted it's like ah uh, dude like it's wesley Snipes, man this guy's awesome you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, like, absolutely. and there, there was no other choice to play. I I think, um, and we talked about this on our, on, on our own film class zeros episode of blade where at one point Lawrence Fishburne was considered to play blade, but once Snipe signed on because a black Panther movie fell through, he was like cool, great actor, cool dude, like natural charm, martial artists, it fit you know they resurrected a character that was created close to 30 years prior to make arguably the first successful marvel movie about like a black vampire hunter who can survive in the daytime and kick ass at night in a cool car with cool shit and chris christopherson
0: i never thought of the parallels between blade and shaft actually and if i'm getting my mm. math right because blade came out in 98 that would put the creation of the comic right around that golden era of Gordon Park's films.
1: Seventy three, I think seventy-three, werewolf by night number nine possibly was the first uh blade appearance. Just might be wrong about your that. head.
2: Yeah, it might be a uh, werewolf by night number nine,
1: if I recall correctly. That's, that's who, who I'm thinking of. Because I kept on <laughs> wanting to say
0: I couldn't I can never remember which one's the father and which one's the son, but Melvin Van Peebles is the yes. other like seventies black cinema oh, director. Yeah, that's Mario
2: Mario Van Peebles dad.
0: Yes, Mario Van People's Dad. I was like, mm-hmm. is like, of Mario? But yeah, like the comics would have come out right around the time that all those films of the 70s were getting really, really popular.
2: Well, we're talking about Blade and the Marvel parallels. Obviously, like th- th- we talked about this, like Rich mentioned in our podcast, where it doesn't get the recognition it deserves in a lot of ways, one of which is how it basically is the. F- kicked off the MCU as we know it now. For better or for worse, it depends on who you ask, but I think we, we c- can collectively agree that it was a positive thing, especially for comic book fans. And as far as Blade is concerned, uh, the film takes a relatively obscure character and makes a very, very successful interpretation of that the like the, the, the canon version. You know, We were in pretty much uncharted territory at that point when Blade came out with a few hits or misses and now blade sort of changed everything because we have blade and we have like what like richard saying wesley snipes embodied the character in a fantastic way and i feel like everyone after that for a long time like if we look at daredevil uh ben affleck's Mm -hmm. daredevil is trying to ape a lot of the the same stylistic choices that Blade made, and uh, there's a lot of connective tissue from that movie to everything that we see now in in as far as like superhero movies. And you watch it back, and that's why it still holds up because it's a great movie. There's some parts of it had that have not aged quite well, especially when it comes to like the effects. But everything else that's in the movie, practically speaking, like the, the action and the the just the sheer attitude that uh, Blade has is completely uh, entertaining and 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 holds up.
0: You know, I'm gonna like slightly disagree with that in that even with Spawn, yeah, some of the like effects heavy scenes <laughs> look really dated, but some of the other stuff like that first transformation of Spawn when he opens up the locket in the graveyard and then all the armor comes over him, like that actually looks pretty good still.
1: It does. Like, it's cool It doesn't beard. look
0: amazing, but it still looks it doesn't like look- pretty good. But that's good. the thing.
1: Alright. So it doesn't look amazing. They wanted it to look amazing. Right? <laughs> A lot of the stuff in Blade, the intentions were there. Blade works, that movie works because, and it's also uh, Tomb of Dracula number 10 is Blade's first appearance uh, for, for all you noobs out there. Blade has so much heart and it works with their cast. Spawn, your cast is there sort of and it shares uh, the cinematographer from Hellboy, oh, which wow. is very interesting. The very dark style who also, he also did Desperado. Uh, uh, Guillermo something, I forget his name. Alex, I think. Navarro, Gu- I think. Yes, yeah, Guillermo Navarro. And I think with Spawn, Alex, you're going to get this reference. Alana, you might get this reference. <laughs> with Spawn, if this was a PS1 game, like the original PlayStation, mm-hmm. I'd be like, holy fuck, you remember Spawn? Whoa, they really kicked ass with those graphics. But it's a movie and it sucks. You know, like the, the graphics are terrible, just like Blade, like all the end stuff. If they remade it, With like updated like CGI, I feel like it would it would automatically put it in like some kind of legendary Criterion collection. With Spawn, (laughs) not so much. I think the intention was agree to disagree. I feel like the intention with Spawn, apart from John Leguizamo who gave it his all, Mm -hmm. was about sixty five percent, maybe sixty percent across the board.
2: Yeah, I I
0: agree with that. I do.
2: Rewatching spawn recently was 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 a real it's a real eye-opener it was fucking brutal <laughs> well it was like i remember it being uh, but i also remember it like this is like the the edgy like 90s comic book stuff and to have that Sort of it was like it, like the image comics stuff coming to the, the forefront and then being uh, pushed into a mainstream film where you could see it and spawn wasn't like you know this thing that only comic book people knew about it was a huge deal and the translation from the comic book, which was so like so angry and so like, oh this guy's from hell and he's angry and his suit does this mm-hmm. and, and there's all these demons and they're fighting heaven he's caught between this and he lives in an alley and all and this- his wife. <laughs> yeah, it's mm. all these like these these little I wouldn't say mature, but like mature for the for like, an, you know, a teenager at the time, things that those people think are mature, these settings and, and these attitudes where it's like it's pushing comics and mainstream comics sort of to a certain extreme and then translating it to this PG 13 CGI mess. And that was locked down by a lot of like weird, like, you know, like the creative spawn Todd McFarlane, he likes to control things. You can see that in this movie. There's a lot of like studio hesitancy because superhero movies aren't a thing yet. And, uh, And, and there's all this other stuff, like the effects just not being where they needed to be to at the, in that particular time for a movie like that. And that, Absolutely comes to the forefront. Garbage,
1: garbage movie. Do you lot know what? It. Do you know why Gun. I feel
2: bad? Sorry, the last thing I'll say is like we were talking about the cast not, not being there. Like I, everyone, I, like John Leguizamo does. He does everything. Like uh, he he puts. He, he, goes, he goes 100 the whole time. He didn't have to, but he's the, the one sort of saving grace. And I feel bad for nobody else in this movie, except for like Teresa Randall. <laughs> like his, the, he plays like uh, Al Simmons' wife. I was like, she she's better than this. She doesn't, this is-
0: <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel I about Michael Jai White too, because I actually wasn't introduced to him via Spawn. I was introduced to him via Black Dynamite. And when I watched yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I was like, this guy should like- I mean, I think he was in the Arrowverse for yes. He
1: was Yes, uh, he was Bronze Tiger.
0: Yeah, he was Bronze Tiger he's, in the Arrowverse. And
1: and, and he's, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 it's all good. He's a legitimate karate guy. And as Bronze Tiger, like he really kicks those stunt people's asses. You know, like mm-hmm. you can tell there's form and technique there. And there's a fun, fun way that he is Bronze Tiger.
0: But yeah, it was interesting. Also, one other really interesting thing I read was one of the few positive reviews of Spawn was from none other than Roger Ebert. Yes. Who gave it three out of four. And basically he said, it is such a trip of a film. Like there's some weird surrealist film like that David Lynch directed behind all of this. So if you go and you watch it as that, rather than like a really important superhero movie, you will have a good time.
1: I tried oh, to yeah. do that yesterday. Yeah, Because exactly. <laughs> I read the same thing. I tried to do, I watched, I watched his movie in the theater when it came out, all right? I was 17 years old, possibly 16. And I thought it was a stinker. The dude who plays Cagliostro, apparently one of the world's greatest actors. Yeah.
2: I feel better for him too.
1: Yeah. You wouldn't have thought, uh, Martin Sheen, apparently, listen, this might be a joke, but apparently Charlie Sheen's dead. Apparently, uh, <laughs> Uh, Aaron Sorkin saw Martin Sheen's performance in this and said, "Hey, I'm going to make you the president on West Wing."
0: That's so amazing. I that's really a joke. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> that's uh, a big joke. That's the huge joke. <laughs>
1: I wrote that in my notes as this is a joke. Uh, <laughs> don't
0: toy with me like that. It's going I'm
1: putting it in the
2: Wikipedia right now.
1: But you have you have like Martin Sheen, D.B. Sweeney, D.B. Sweeney, uh, one of the most haunting movies I've ever seen in my life, Fire in the Sky. Great actor. Great cast. Right? Like so. Let's juxtapose. The the three movies that we wanted to talk about today: Hellboy, Blade, Spawn. Let's juxtapose these casts really quick. Blade possibly should not have worked. Udo Kier, mm-hmm. right?
2: As the, the yeah. You know.
1: Steven Dorf, Chris Christopherson, who's the Highwayman.
2: The, the Donald Loge.
1: Donald Loge. Donald
2: was great in that movie. Yeah, Snipes, right? Yeah. Relative.
1: Snipes are relatively. At the maybe at the height of his career, maybe not. Like people like he like White Man Can't Jump came out, like Money mm-hmm. Train, um, Demolition Man. Demolition Man. Yeah. Was yeah, he that, Jungle that was Fever 95. as
0: well? I think he was also in Jungle Fever.
1: Was he in Jungle Spike Fever? Lee he film. was in a bunch of Spike Leaflex uh at the time. I'm not sure about Jungle Fever. I know Mo Better Blues,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I think was ninety five. And you know, he had like credit to his name.
0: Yeah, he was noted. He was like a noted Ooh. actor, you would say. Spawn,
1: Martin Sheen, legendary mm-hmm. actor at that time. Yes, like Martin Sheen. Michael J. White, a relative newcomer. Apparently, when Michael J. White read the script, he said, I've never empathized with a character as much as I do with Al Simmons. <laughs> awesome. Oh, wow. Um,
2: yeah.
1: D.B. Sweeney, go ahead.
2: No, and I was going to say, like, that's why I don't, I don't feel particularly bad for him, because at that point, yeah, he, he's definitely grown from there. But at the time, it's like he was exactly like the talent, his talent fit the movie. If that's too, if that's a mean thing to say at that time, it's a little I feel mean. like, I feel like that was correct. We're, we've all been there. We've I, grown since then. This, this is my opinion. I feel like
1: he played it to exploitation.
2: You know what it is? I feel it's a, it's a, uh, an, an inexperienced actor given very broad and imprecise direction from a guy who was mainly into st- you know uh, special effects instead of like acting directing actors i think that's a
0: good point i think that's a very good point
2: yeah but
1: spawn for some reason there are times where it looks effing awesome without the cgi a lot of like the darker stuff the alleyway stuff like the, the rooftop stuff the church stuff like it looks good but then when the cape shows up or when he's got a gun in his hand like, he just looks like a chubby blade. He looks like a chubby baby. <laughs> you know? It's very weird. But then, like, Blade does everything right, except for pretty much, like, the final CGI or, like, the burning CGI.
2: Yeah, like, the CGI is the thing that uh, dates mm-hmm. Blade the most, where everything else is very stylized. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, it's, like, very late 90s and sort of, like, as far as people are dressed, but everything else is so over the top. But in, in a way that is so cool that, and it fits everything and it fits the Mm -hmm. attitude so it's great and then with you know you take spawn which is not a great movie and take all the cgi cgi out and it's still like a really bad movie and (laughs) and then uh, and and then you put all this other stuff like on like all the this movie was like all like weird like fire um transitions to cut away from very awkward (laughs) scenes that they didn't know how to end yeah first of all like
0: like, weird john leguizamo voiceover like, I'm going to take you down to where I am. He is <laughs> if like we didn't understand that they were getting taken down to hell during that like crappy fire tunnel scene.
2: Yeah, but, I, I think a lot of he, he sold it. True. He did. And I think true. a lot of it was him trying to like, they were told, you know, like you have to act like he acts in this comic book. It's a very twisted character. So he's allowed to just go completely nuts. And that's great. Everyone else has to take it seriously. And you think like there's like the Coglioso keeps popping in as like the mentor figure and doing a voiceover. And I was like, is he the star of the movie? Cause I feel like he's it's telling his own story. And then blade is sort of like a secondary character blade. Uh, Spawn is a secondary character to him. Everything else is just very, you know, a lot of it is when you have an action movie, a lot of it is just trying to get to the point of the action with this movie is, um, they're trying to get to the special effects because that's what the director at the time was, you know, that was his specialty. Uh, I think he went on to do like other things with within the, you know, the SFX industry. But as far as a movie is concerned, it was so baked into it that as a movie, it, it just, it didn't have the structure. You know, like scenes just ended be- and then they just did like a flash uh, kind of fiery transition, like I mentioned, just to get mm-hmm. to the next thing, mm-hmm. uh, just to get along to whatever the studio said they had to do. Like there was like a car chase that I felt was so like forced in that whole thing and it's yes. just cuz it's like 90s we have to have someone on a motorcycle, we got to blow something up.
1: We need techno music, we need we need to blow somebody up on a motorcycle, we need some kind of weird car chase, we need an alley scene. We These need a rave of...
0: scene. I feel like every other 90, late 90s movie had some sort of rave scene.
1: Yes, Blade. Blade had, had a rave scene. Blade oh. started with a rave scene. Yeah. Alana, I'm sorry if we're taking over your show. I feel like... Uh, <laughs> what do you I feel think like I brought just, you in for? Just us blabbing for an hour. Blabbing about Blade. It's that is going to be the new title of this episode. It's going
0: to be <laughs> about like, bad guys, and now it's just going to be blabbing about Blade.
1: So, Alana, how do you feel about the juxtaposition of Blade, Spawn, and uh, Hellboy? Not only as far as filmmaking goes, but as far as characterization on a film goes, don't think about the comic book uh, counterparts, but just in a cinematic sense, like your cinematic sensibilities, who do you root for almost?
0: There's something about, and I love Hellboy. I love Guillermo del Toro's Mm -hmm. Hellboy, but there's something about Blade that is like oddly aspirational. And I don't know what it is. Like the, is. F- I'm so excited for the new one coming out with Mahershala Ali. That is oh,
2: going to so yeah, it's gonna be cool. Good.
1: I don't even care no who's idea. directing
0: it. I just need Mahershala Ali as Blade. And Big reveal,
1: I'm directing it. <laughs> <laughs> or to like
0: literally make my head explode. It's a multiverse movie where like, Blade isn't a person, it's like a mantle. And Wesley Snipes like, Passes the mantle of blade down to Mahershala Ali.
1: Listen, I I still think Snipes could do it. I'm a huge blade fan. I've always been a huge blade. Fan. I even like the um the TV show with Sticky Fingers from Onyx. It was a Ooh, very short lived show, but like he did a, He did a comparable job. I'd always, I guess mansplain is like the the best word for this <laughs> mansplain to my wife. She knows how much I love blade. At one point, and this was like almost like the most coincidental thing. At one point, I was like, fuck, man, they should just reintroduce Blade. Like, what are they doing with all these movies? And then they had that press conference a few years ago, and they announced who the new Blade was. And I was like, babe, who's the one guy who could be Blade? And this is hot off the heels of True Detective Season 3. Oh, Mahershal right. Ali. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic choice.
0: I mean, I could actually see, now that I've seen him do a lot more work, I could see Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He'd be more of like... Cause he's such a big kind of like footballer guy he'd be a good sense. spawn Ooh. Mm. Ooh. There you yeah take our idea hollywood you're welcome
1: <laughs> these are all free no you're right
0: he especially after seeing candy man like he would make a great spawn
1: i think he's locked into dc though i, don't, oh, I think with that's Black Manta. Yeah. i think he's like super and and dr man i think he's super locked into dc
0: you know though i mean I mean, it's within Marvel, true, but mm. I do feel like, well, first of all, David Harbour went from Dark Horse and Hellboy to Marvel with Black Widow. Yeah. And Chris Evans went from playing the Human Torch to- Buzz Lightyear. No, Buzz Lightyear, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, again, I feel like people are more okay with people double dipping a bit, if that makes sense.
1: I've got a question for you guys. Okay, do you condone the double dip? Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all.
0: Because you know what? You got to feed your kids. You got to pay your a- agents and your mm. managers. If you're doing a good job double dipping, I don't mind.
1: So would you would you be open to seeing a Chris Evans cap and a Chris Evans torch at some point?
2: But double dip in the same universe, I think, is a little bit.
1: Yeah. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you, that's how you double dip. Like that's but- that. I'm saying double dipping in the multiverse.
0: Oh, I thought you meant like double dip between like Marvel and DC or like Marvel and Dark Horse or something.
2: No, I mean, yeah. I, I thought same you guy playing lot. two or three. Superman and Batman. and Yeah, Superman <laughs> and um, and Captain America. So like to really screw mm-hmm. around with like the, the inevitable crossover. Oh, oh my God.
0: I don't really feel about that because I also wasn't, I know this is re- really weird. I don't love superhero Chris Evans, but everything else I've seen him in, I love him in like great and knives out. It was really fun in the perfect score. I feel mm-hmm. like there's one other movie I've seen him in. In Snowpiercer. He was fantastic in Snowpiercer. Yeah. But there's something about the Chris Evans superheroes I just never got on board. Not about his performances. His performances as Cap and Torch were great, but I just like was not the slice of pizza I would have picked for myself, but it was still a well-made slice of
1: pizza. <laughs> oh, that's interesting.
0: <laughs> um, To wrap up this conversation a little bit, now that we've talked a little bit about the um, upcoming Blade remake with Mahershala Ali, along with that, and also like Venom and Morbius trying really hard to create a Morbius universe. Yeah. Where do we see the anti-hero going in the next like five to 10 years? <laughs> there is dead silence and lots of raised eyebrows. Go,
2: I, I'm going out. Okay. So I feel like, a lot of the um, the movies that we talked about laid a lot of the groundwork for what we're looking at now. And I feel like there are good parts of it where, you know, like when we have, uh, when we're we're at the point where we are recasting Blade, I say we, but, you know, now that they are recasting Blade, it's very easy to find a perfect fit and to see like uh, to create the movie that would really suit the character. And uh, part of that is just like that, the, the glut that we're also dealing with. And then you have these movies like, you know, like Venom and Morbius and all this other stuff. There's all these things that are happening behind the scenes that start influencing stuff. I feel like the multiverse is sort of born out of necessity, not just for storytelling purposes, but so that these other real world kind of red tape things, also have an out and i feel like when you have venom and spider-man and and like the last spider-man movie i feel like whatever you thought of the movie i felt like that was basically a gift to sony so they they could make their own spider-man movies because they own spider-man and but marvel also still has you know the the, um it's like weird contractual stuff yeah like all this other stuff and that's like the weird unfortunate part of of that sort of thing as far as where the anti-hero goes i feel like there's a lot to explore because they are representations of of how we feel you know like I, you know we had a a really good punisher in the netflix series and that was a very grounded take on on that character who is not a, a good person um, but you still have to make a character, you know, the, the hero of your of your show, someone you sort of empathize with, and 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 it's a tricky balance when you come to things that are very uncomfortably real. When it comes to that, he's not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a being from a different planet. He's not from hell and charged with hell energies. This, this angry uh, veteran who has this compulsion and, and all these things that are, and this trauma and he's working it out and how he works out is just in a very real and violent way. This attracts a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Some of them are, you know, um, more, they're not all the same reasons, but they all sort of, the the different people like those things for different reasons. And Mm -hmm. those reasons sometimes don't even jive. and, And then that creates a conflict. And that's difficult to do when you're talking about a you know, an, a hero, quote unquote, in our entertainment property, and it's interesting to see where we're going because do you make them that grounded and angry, and sort of tap into that, or do you go the fun route, like we're talking with like Peter Quill and all these guys who are like they're antiheroes but they're charming, sort of more, the deadpools you know, of the world, yeah, the deadpools, the the rapscallions, the thieves, you know, like the rogues, you know, that that kind of thing. Or do you make someone who goes around and kills Superman or, you know, goes on a murder spree? It's like, where is the the middle ground? And and where is the appetite? Mm
1: -hmm. Rich. I think I'm going to, I'm going to add to that too, because there's an interesting thing to be said as a comic book fan and as a comic book movie fan, where, you know, where do we go from here? And the answer is usually whenever there's a good villain, you make them a good guy. Uh, Harley Quinn, great example. Venom, great example. Venom's an excellent example Venom hunted Peter Parker for years and then took up the mantle of Lethal Protector, who ended up turning his ways and becoming a good guy. Like the movies kind of show, right? Mm -hmm, good example mm -hmm. of that is Deathstroke from the DC universe. Deathstroke was a hired assassin and a hitman, arguably Batman's equal for many years. And then in recent canon, I think over the last 15 years, they've molded him into like another anti-hero. And I think that stems from making a buck, you know, a bad guy comic or a bad guy movie will only make you so much money. But if there's a silver lining, it will make you more money,
2: Mm -hmm. you know?
1: But again, the fault in my argument is the Todd Phillips Joker movie, where that was just. Have you you you've guys seen it? Right?
0: I have not seen it yet.
2: I haven't seen it. Didn't really.
0: I, it's not an aversion. I just feel like I keep seeing clips of it, and I've never just this sat conversation down. is over. I know. It be. It really Rich has left be the be meeting. That's like the anti-hero movie, honestly, of the last like five ten years. It's I really have seen it.
2: I it's not an anti-hero movie it's, yeah, it's, ju- just, it's just a villain movie
1: it's a movie it's just a villain movie it's a it's a good flick somebody i know put it as succinctly i've watched a movie a couple of times The succinctness of this review will blow your mind because i want you guys to watch it if you've never seen a martin scorsese movie you'll be blown away by joker mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's like mm-hmm. that type of flick that I think that's like the one kind of like forgotten element of like the superhero genre. I do. I think as far as like the superhero stuff goes and the anti-hero stuff goes, I do like the sandbox that you can play in and you can make a lot of really artful things within this, like work for hire sandbox, which you've seen with Taika Waititi and Ragnarok, which, you know, I will always bring up, or even like that, the, first black panther movie you know like you have the sandbox to play in and you can make beautiful art i think as far as hollywood goes you you can't push it too far yeah you know otherwise you're going to lose ticket sales and nobody's going to come back to the theater you know so you're not going to have like that true final chapter i think logan was that true final chapter great movie i'm going to use a a non-superhero movie as an example and there's going to be an argument after that where I love The Northman.
0: Oh, yes. Great flick, right? Great movie.
1: Now, as soon as I I watched it three times already, the first time I saw it, I said, man, it would have been cool if X and Y happened and we can get a sequel. But then it was brought to my attention, hey, not everything needs a sequel. Not everything needs a franchise. I think that's where we're living now as far as like cinema goes
2: mm-hmm.
1: those, those are my closing that. statements <laughs> um
0: the most important actual closing statement of this episode mm-hmm. where can people find you on the interwebs which we should never go to unless we're trying to find you too obviously
2: yeah no we're at uh, film zeros at film zeros on twitter and uh, i'm at alex.calogiannis on twitter which is just my whole name and um, you'll, you'll find uh, our commentary. Well, you know, we, are, we have a fun audience on Twitter. We get to joke around about these movies because it's, it's super lighthearted and positive. And uh, we post updates on new episodes um, and you get to hear us talk more about uh, Blade. Um, and if you go to my stuff, you see a bunch of car stuff and, and bad jokes too.
1: Uh, you can find me at BTC Rich on Twitter. That's my social platform of choice. And uh, film zeros, as Alex said, and on my page, you will find gentle comic book talk. No hot takes. (laughs) 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 Maybe in me. me. Mm. Mm. Little sass. Maybe some Little sassiness. (laughs) There's always a
0: little bit of sass. There may not be like hot takes, but there's always a little bit of sass. sass. Oh, there's definite Mm. sass. We will hyperlink all of those in the description below. Guys, do I even have to say it was a pleasure? Because it's always a pleasure
2: we need the uh the the validation so yes oh (laughs) (laughs)
0: desperately
2: desperately desperately that's why we're on the internet
0: (laughs) that's why we're all on the internet thank you guys so so much i always appreciate your candor your wit your knowledge and of course your sass
2: oh yeah thanks for having us it was a blast uh talking to you and talking about these movies and we're looking forward to the next one yeah.
1: Sorry. We steamrolled over you a bunch. <laughs> nah. I walked so you two
0: could run on my episode. Don't even
1: worry about it. And you know what? When we ran, we held hands.
0: Exactly. Yes. We ran and held hands. It was great. We loved uh, it.
2: We need fan art now. Somebody <laughs> oh, yeah. do that and send it to us.
0: And that's all folks. Thanks again to Rich and Alex for as always a very lively and very interesting discussion about film. Tune in next week when we take a look at the one and only, the very iconic Tim Burton version of Batman with filmmaker and amazing friend Darren Kwan. His Instagram famous cat, Phil, may or may not make an appearance, so you don't want to miss it. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. And as always, keep watching movies. See you next time. the lobby, there
1: was an inscription. In the absence of light, darkness prevails. There are things that go bump in the night, Agent Myers. Make no
0: mistake about that. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes, and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page, where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F., Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Mariano Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz and our logo design is by Mark Save. Thanks again. See you next time.
2: Girl